and welcome to episode 79 of the Destroy the Brain podcast. I'm Andy Treffenbach. And I'm Yana Lightfoot. And today we are going to be talking about 2022's Scream. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's only, uh, it, look, a long enough time has passed. Uh, we're going to get in the spoilers, but we'll warn you guys. But uh, hopefully everybody's had a chance to see it that is interested in it. And if you're not interested in it, well... Stay tuned for what we've been watching and then tune out. <laughs> Great self-promotion, Andy. Um, yeah, so we got that being covered and then uh, what we've been watching. Sorry about the hiatus for a little bit. We've been gone for like almost two months. months. Oh, yeah, two months. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, so apologies. Um, but yeah, we're back. We're back. Let's go ahead and get into uh, what we've been watching. What have you been watching? So... I'm going to start with the first one, and it is a Japanese film called Echo Echo Azarak. And I guess the Japanese title, Echo 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 Azaraku. And the first one is entitled Wizard of Darkness, and that's the main one I'm going to talk about. It is about a high school, well, I would say high school girl. She transfers to a new school, and all these weird things happen around her. And it kind of just jumps right in. And pretty much people start just dying around her in pretty messed up ways. I mean, some might look like accidents, but it's obvious it's work of a witch. And so you're trying to figure out, you know, this movie is the switch after her. Is she the witch? And as you go through the movie, you learn more about her, which is her name's Misa. Okay. And I I honestly like it because of the underlying elements. It, a lot of people joke that as Harry Potter feel because of the magic and wizardy wizardry wizardry. <laughs> but I, the graphics in there, seeing someone get their head smashed. Okay. So it's a little more brutal. Oh, than it's Harry very Potter. brutal. And the way some of these high schoolers die as you go. So is it like final destination? It kind of is. Okay. It, okay. it actually, it seems like they're accidents at first, how these people are dying. And you think it's because of these little dolls they're putting under like the voodoo doll type things. Okay. So it's like, you know, you, you stab someone in the stomach, someone has stomach problems and that type of thing. It starts off all innocent like that. And it goes into way more brutal happenings among students and teachers. And it's pretty much all surrounding Misa and all these people are dying around her. And you learn a little bit about her backstory in this movie, but it's more centered around the school, her classmates, and why this wizard or magician or whatever is after her specifically. And I don't want to ruin it because it does have a good buildup in the end. And it is dated. It came out in 95. And you can tell I'm a sucker for older Japanese movies, Mm -hmm. especially the horror ones, because the practical effects are so good. And that's what I felt like in this one. And I like the acting. I mean, it was actually pretty well acted for, yeah. you know, compared to some of the ones I've seen. So, is it, I mean, this is so it's funny. It, this is 95. So this is kind of maybe pre or like right in the beginning of J-Horror, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Huh. It was it was a little bit before. And I'm surprised this didn't get more recognition when like Ringu and right. Juwon came out. But I feel like it's kind of obscure. But those are ghost stories, They're right? They're ghost stories. Okay. And that was the thing at that time. So I feel like J-Horror really took off with the ghost stuff. Yeah. Whereas Echo Echo Asadak is more surrounding witches and magic and cults. The okay. cult. And I like that factor that it took something different because... Most people see J-Horror as ghost movies. Right. And there's so many that aren't. And this is a great example of that. Okay. But this sounds straight up like 
kind of a slasher movie. It kind of is because okay. there's some brutality to it. And that's what I liked about it. It, it, I didn't know what to expect to be okay. honest going into it. Um, so how'd you hear about it? I randomly bought this 10 years ago in a three pack set from record exchange. It looks like Tokyo Shock put it out. Yes, they did. Okay. And we all know Tokyo, those of you who bought Tokyo Shock releases, they do not have the best transfers <laughs> <No>. or <laughs> the best translations, um, which I, the translation didn't bother me that much, but the transfer was very grainy. And I honestly think this deserves a restoration and a Blu-ray. That'd be cool. So I bought a three DVD trilogy pack back in the day. And I mean, it still holds up movie wise. I just... I honestly think it should get a good transfer, maybe Arrow. Because uh, this is like the first entry in the film series. Yeah, it's the first. Apparently, there's about six of them in yeah. the TV show. And when I looked further into it, it's actually adapted from a manga, which I honestly didn't know. And from my understanding, it's never been available in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, according to the Wikipedia, the manga was uh, serialized from 1975 to 1979. So that's... That's actually a pretty decent gap. Yeah. You know, it is for them. It's like a 20 year gap between the first film adaptation. So, I mean, I I feel like the film stands on its own because I've never, you know, read the manga or anything. And that's what I liked about this film. You don't have to be familiar of its origins. Uh You can just dive right in. And the, from the movies I've saw, the first one is the best. The second one explains the backstory which I like, but the first one, I would just dive right into that. And I personally really liked it. I cool. I, I wish if it had, I really want someone to release it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you never know. I mean, Arrow, Arrow might be that. Arrow or Third Window Films. That would be cool. I, I'm really starting to get into Third Window stuff. Did you pick up Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes? Yes, I okay. did. That is an amazing release. I love that movie. I, I want to get the Blu-ray. It, um, it's region free. I know. I, I've been meaning to buy it. It's just like I kind of did a little freeze so I could save up money for Arizona. <laughs> now it's like once I get back, I'm gonna probably third put windows. So much been, money in they've it. been putting out a lot of really good releases, and I'm I'm crossing my fingers because if anybody does like the Asian movies, especially Asian horror or obscure ones, Third Window Films mm-hmm. is knocking it out of the park with releases. Nice, cool. Um, I, so the one, I have a few movies and I might cheat a little bit. I watched this movie called The Runner, which is really more or less like a 38 minute music video, um, from this band called Boy Harsher, who's synth synthesizers, kind of like moody way, like new wave sort of stuff. And, uh, this is only available on Shutter as far as I know. Um, they have a new album that came out and it's called the runner original soundtrack. So, um, they basically made this kind of interesting Lynchian horror film uh, that surrounds it. But then it, it also intercuts with the two band members because it's, it's really two band members. And then I, I think just for aesthetics, they have like this drummer that plays a little bit, but for the most part, it's, uh, two members, Gus and I already forgot the girl's name, but, uh, she's the vocalist and Gus is pretty much the main guy who does the music. And, um, I was lucky enough to get a screener for it and it's available now on shutter. You can watch it whenever you want. Um, I'm a huge fan of their music and I absolutely love this movie. It's, um, 
it's just tough because like it's only 38 minutes long. So um, I don't know if that qualifies for a movie, but it's probably, you know, f- first month out of the year. This is definitely a highlight of of the year so far. So um, if I were to walk away with anything other than um, a 1957 movie called Night of the Demon, I really did love that. But you're going to have to hear that on another podcast. Ooh, sneak preview. Um, but yeah, this this movie, uh, the basic premise, it, it it's very abstract. Uh, it starts off with a girl running in the woods and she's got, you know, blood on her and all this other stuff. But then she like flags down somebody to pick her up. And the truck stops after picking her up. So you're like, oh, well, something's going on. And as it goes through, um, you find out that maybe this girl isn't as innocent as you kind of believe. So it's playing off the stereotypical like, oh, girl in the woods running. You think she's the victim. She might not be the victim. And then um, she kind of just goes through this very small town. And there's a scene in a bar and all these little set pieces are set to songs from the soundtrack. And it's just a really interesting aesthetic. And I think if you have, you know, if you want to just watch something less than an hour, this is a really cool thing to listen to. As long as you like the music, if you don't like the music, then it might not be for you. But it's also kind of interesting to... um like I said, it intercuts with the band members and they're talking about like Gus, who is the guy who does a lot lot of the music and arranges it. He talks about his method of how he does it. And he's like, Oh yeah, I have this bank, this device bank of like synthesizers. I like this one. I like this one. And then he'll find one and he starts playing and then it becomes the song. And it's just, it reminds you a little bit of like, I know this is going to be a very vanilla comparison, but like Michael Jackson's thriller where it's, it's its own thing, like its own album. You can listen to that, but the film, the video companion to it is kind of interesting too. And it fleshes it out a little bit more, but yeah, this is again, I don't know of any physical media release for this movie. Um, it just came out on shutter and I believe it's somewhere else outside of the U S and Canada. Um, but if you follow Boy Harsher, which that's the name of the band, you can find out more information on it. So it's like a movie. It's like a music within a movie in a way. Pretty much. I mean, even if you have no clue who this band is, I guarantee you, like, if you appreciate scores and especially like the synthier scores that are becoming more popular lately, you'll still enjoy it. And hopefully walk away with a new band that you want to check out, too. Because it all works within each other, you're just going to, it's just going to be kind of not misleading, but a little off when, when it happens because they intercut between the narrative, which there isn't much of a narrative, um, but they cut between the narrative and like a live performance from, from the group. And you're just, you know, at first you're like, oh, what, what the hell is going on? However, I knew of the band before I watched it. So that I was kind of fine with that cut, but, um, yeah, it's just, I, I think for most people, if you're new to that band, this is a great introduction to them because you'd be like, Oh wow, this, this works as a soundtrack, but it also works on its own. And it has kind of like pop songs in there with vocals and stuff too, but there's a lot of instrumental and drone noises and just kind of atmospheric music. 
But uh, again, that's The Runner. It's out now on Shutter if you have it. That sounds really interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to check that out because I like how, you know, the the music is incorporated. It's more like a soundtrack. Yeah. And I like how the band, you know, just adds in it. And it, it, yeah. it's a good way to get, like you said, introduction to someone you've never heard of. And I haven't heard of them. So it'd be and a good way for me what's to What's nice is like the band doesn't interfere with the narrative. They're two separate stories. They're like two separate roads mm -hmm. and they just kind of intersect every once in a while. So it's kind of interesting. But yeah, The Runner. All right. So my second one was a movie called His House and that came out in 2020. And so it is streaming on Netflix. That's where I watched it. It is about a couple who they they're Sudan refugees. So okay. they pretty much were their villages were ransacked in Sudan and they are able to get on a boat and escape. So they escaped to which it looks like the United Kingdom. And so they're there. They they get housing and they pretty much get told, hey, you get housing. Here's, you know, your your money. Try to fit in with society. So they get told, hey, you get this whole house yourself. We're giving you this whole house to live in. You stay here. You cannot leave no matter what. You can only go to the grocery store, doctor, whatever. But you cannot just run away. You know, this right. is your house. So they they get there. It's. Uh, I will say, you know, it, it made me feel bad for this this couple moving in, watching it because you could see there are roaches. It just needs to be fixed up. It's gross. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, maybe you're given this. I know these people are just so appreciative of having a place to live. Right. But me internally, you know, <laughs> sitting there like that is horrible. You don't give someone yeah, a This isn't like a this. great introduction to our nation. <laughs> exactly. And, and it really centers on this couple at, and their demons they're fighting with within okay. because of some of the things you see. There will be flashbacks of when they're in Sudan and you see what they're going through and also the assimilation of assimilating with society in the UK. I mean, it's a completely different society. And also it's this house. Hmm. And as they move in, weird things start to happen. And you don't know if it's their demons that they're struggling with inside because of some of the things they've experienced over there. And you find out that they had a daughter. Something okay. happened to her. They don't really press on what at the be you know, what at the beginning and you just know about them and just some little weird things start happening. And the aesthetic is so eerie when things happen in the house. So it's like, is it like a haunted house? Yes and no, because it leaves you with okay. that intrigue okay. of, is it them going through these demons that they're fighting with and what they experienced and so their guilt? So we don't know if it's internal or external? Yep. Got or it. is it this house is haunted by something and you don't know what? Okay. And I think that's why I like the movie, because it, it kind of lets you think about it yourself. And the more I settled on it, the more I really like what it gave and all the little nuances, like all the little things you see that were creepy, especially when the lights go out at night and how each, you know, the wife and the husband and how they're each dealing with their own demons that mm -hmm. they're experiencing and also just with society itself. And bringing all that into the mixture and them struggling with, we don't belong here. Do we go back home? Hmm. And you, it, everything plays into it. So it's like a drama, but it's also horror right? because of what you see in that house. And there are some very creepy instances that I, I watched it with the lights at and about jumped a couple of oh, times. Oh, really? Just okay. because of some of the background stuff, the noises you hear, how the sounds play. So it almost sounds like a kind of like a paranoia haunted houses 
thriller. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. That would cool. that would be a best description of it. And I like that it does make you you just wonder by that end and how it ends. You're thinking, was it them or was it really the house? Oh, so you don't you don't actually get the answer. You it kind, kind of, of makes maybe. you you kind of do. I mean, I have my own perspective of what I honestly okay. think. Okay. But it could go either way. And that's I, cool. I like how that's how it played out. Yeah. I know this showed up on like some top lists in 2020. It's been on my radar. It's just so much content out there. <laughs> there is way too much content. And this is one I saw on Twitter that people were recommending African-American horror films. Right. Okay. And it was one that I'm like, I was, I, I wanted to see more because I feel like they're very up, they're very underrepresented. Mm -hmm. And I felt like his house was one of them. Okay. It was fantastic. And I highly recommend checking that out. And it's currently streaming on Netflix. If I'm correct, it's a Netflix original. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I loved it. Sweet. Cool. Um, I checked out the new Arrow video release of Mario Bava Shock. Um, this movie is a movie I, I saw, I'm just going to say a long time ago, probably like early 2000s. And I want to say, coincidentally enough, I may have watched it on a DVD double feature of Possession because that's back when they put out those double features. Wow. And, um, you know, like, I, I don't know if I was really enthralled with it when I originally saw it. And from what I remember, the transfer wasn't all that great, even though it was Anchor Bay. And Anchor Bay at that point in time was pretty pretty good standard. Yeah. Um, but Arrow Films has cleaned it up. And for a long time, it was not available in HD. Like it would show up, I think it showed up on maybe Amazon and maybe Shutter a couple of times. And I was like, oh, I, I've been meaning to see this, like give it a rewatch. And the transfer was like the old transfer. It looked like the Anchor Bay one. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I, I feel like I need to hold out. <laughs> and luckily I did. Uh, I, I can't believe it's taken this long for an HD transfer, but I'm also thankful that Arrow put it out because they cleaned it up. It looks great. It's a transfer. I think it's a 2K transfer from the original camera negative. Um, Shock is, it, it, it's not Mario Bava's best film, but it is an interesting film. It's a little mixed up. Um, the biggest takeaway on this is <laughs> it was also released in the States as Beyond the Door 2. So now my dumbass as a collector, I had to buy the Beyond the Door 2 slip so I can have like the Beyond the Door trilogy, even though none of those movies are really tied in together, except Beyond the Door 2, Shock, has the same kid as in Beyond the Door. This kid has only acted in those two movies. Wow. So I don't know if they use that as uh, like the tie-in. Like, oh, that's going to be Beyond the Door 2 because this fucking kid who is annoying as hell. He's he's like Bob level <laughs> from House of the Cemetery. But, um, it, and it's funny because Lamberto Bava, there's an interview on the desk where he's like, oh, I think he's amazing. I'm, he's not. <laughs> I mean, he's okay for a kid actor, but he's just really annoying. But, uh, yeah, this is Mario Bava's last theatrical film. And uh, I mean, it does kind of show because I know Lamberto, his son, kind of helped him film some of the stuff. Um, it, it was a mixture, I think, of both of their directing abilities. Uh, the But here's what's interesting about it. So it has uh, Daria Nicoletti, who 
used to be the wife of Dario Argento, has acted in some of the Dario Argento films, and uh, is you know the co-writer of Suspiria. Um, I've always loved Daria, and sadly, we lost her. I think it was last year when we lost her. I think so too. Um, but yeah, this movie is like a haunted house movie mixed in with possession. Um, Daria used to live in this house. There's really no explanation on why they are moving back, but uh, this guy that she's seen, who is a airline pilot, uh, and her son from a previous relationship move in back into this house and Daria is starting to see certain things happening. Um, we don't know if Daria's character is crazy. We don't know if something's happening in the house, much like his house, right? It's, it's a psychological haunted house film. But what's interesting about it is when it kind of gets into the possession angle, we don't know if the kids possessed or not. And the question behind it is, is this kid possessed by his father, essentially, who is the previous boyfriend of Dario Nicoletti? And we're also trying to figure out, well, why did that relationship dissolve? And it's it's basically like if you put in a haunted house movie with a possession thriller with maybe even a little Edgar Allan Poe in a blender, you kind of get shock. And what's great about this is you do see some Mario Bava uh, lighting techniques. There's some like really great set pieces, especially with lighting. There's one scene where uh, the kid has like this photograph where he cut out uh, the new boyfriend and it's like his mom. It's very odd. Like it's it has, uh, dare I say, like an incestuous feel in a weird way in some points because you don't know if like the kid's in love with his mother as like a romance i mean he's he's not even 10 so he's very young but it's a very strange movie as far as mood is concerned but there there's a scene that i absolutely love where like he's holding this photograph and he cut out the new boyfriend and he's shining a light through it and the scene starts where we see an illumination of the cutout and it just scrolls over the room. And then we find out what the illumination's from and it's from that picture. And it's just a really cool setup. And it's, it's the photography that we love for Mario Bava. And we know that like only him can really pull off. Um, but it's a really, uh, it's a really interesting, like nice blend of a possession in a haunted house movie. And it keeps you guessing, Um, by the time you get to the end, it may feel a little predictable, but I think there's enough interesting things in here. Uh, there's a lot of screaming, (laughs) (laughs) which I I do remember when I saw this and possession, it it was all off the, that double feature. I was like, man, this is a loud kind of movie, like lots of screaming, lots of emotions. Um, Dario Nicoletti is, is pretty good in it. Um, John Steiner is the boy, the new boyfriend and he's okay. But yeah, uh, the, the kid is very annoying, so you do have to get past that. I remember him in Beyond the Door. Yeah, <laughs> sipping on pea soup. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which I always thought was a funny gag. But um, yeah, this is available on uh, through Arrow. You can pick up the Blu-ray. It's also available on their Arrow player if you want to give that a shot. I think they have 30-day free trials if you don't have that. And I want to say it's like five bucks a month after that. So it's not a bad deal, especially if you're like tightening the budget on Blu-rays and you 
Like maybe you used to blind buy a whole bunch of Aero Blu-rays. The, the Aero player is probably right up your alley because most of that new stuff that does come out, it does come out on the Aero player. So you can watch it and be like, oh, okay, I don't need to buy this one or I need to buy this one. And Shock, I, I really love, um, it's not, like I said, it's not my favorite favorite Mario Bava film and by far it's not his best but it's a very interesting spin on it uh on on possession and a haunted house movie it's just this weird blend that makes it unique so yeah I highly recommend it that's from 1977 so I'm looking forward to that because we also bought shock from arrow yeah we haven't watched it but we bought that off diabolique okay and it I'm hoping maybe this week or next week, but yeah. this makes me look forward to watching it a lot more as hearing about it. And I, I really enjoy Bava. So, and we blind bought it anyway, cause we already had the Bava UK set. Oh yeah. The so. macabre visions. Yeah. I never visions. did buy that. Was, yeah. We, we bought that. I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn it. Why did I buy it? Cause by the time I was getting ready to buy it, it went out of print, but I'll find, I'll get it. It's fine. Yeah. So we had to get, I mean, it's Bava. It's one that wasn't in the set. And that's right. why we, we ended up picking up shock, you know, one to be a completionist and two, I've, I've heard good, you know, I've heard mixed reviews on it, Yeah. but at the same time, I really do enjoy Bava's films and hearing your description. Yeah. I just mean, made me more excited for it. Look, it's not of the caliber of like black Sabbath, black Sunday, even playing of the vampires or, you know, any of Mario Bava's staples, but it's a very interesting film just because of what it is and how it's handled and how late in the career of, like I said, this was his final feature length film. I know a lot of people also figure that rabid dogs, which is coincidentally probably one of my favorite, at least my top three Mario Bava films. Um, And that was a film that was, completed after he died but that was his answer to last house on the left pretty much and quite honestly i think he did it better Ooh, shots fired i have not i was <laughs> say i have not seen that one but now you got me interested it's, when you it, say that you know it's not it, it's not as brutal and i know i'm talking about two separate films here but it's not as brutal as last house on the left there's just obvious similarities that he's commenting or ripping off of last house on the left but i think he's also kind of doing it like well yeah that's a okay movie but i can take the best things about that and put it in this film where um do you know the basic premise of rapid dogs no i don't so okay um i've seen kind of cheating left (laughs) yeah i I know i'm kind of cheating talking about two movies but uh rabbit dogs is a movie where this guy is trying to get this kid to a hospital because he's got a high fever. He's possibly dying. And these bank robbers come in and basically hijack his car and say, you need to take us to this place. And he's obviously like, I need to take this kid to the hospital. He's going to die. He's like, well, if you don't take us to where we need to go, you're going to die because we have all this money. And it becomes like this on the road kind of thriller. There's a woman that gets involved. Um, George Eastman, who is, uh, you'll know him when you see him like, Oh, that's a guy that's been in tons of Italian films. Like the only thing that's really coming to my brain is, um, Anthropophagus, uh, which is the grim reaper. It's the one where like he eats his own guts at the end. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, it's a very tense, hardcore movie 
I, I really love that movie. I think that's probably one of my favorite Mario Bava films, but I will say, uh, watch rabbit dogs, not kidnapped. The only way to get this movie on Blu-ray arrow, put it out on region B. Um, and sadly the rabbit dogs cut when anchor Bay did it and put it on DVD, they ruined the negative. So arrow tried their best to find the best elements for it. And unfortunately didn't turn up anything. So what they did is they took the stuff, the shot, Shots and I think some of the music uh, from the Anchor Bay release and put it into the HD footage. So it switches from HD to SD, basically, okay. like an SD up convert. Gotcha. So that's a little off putting. So maybe you want to watch it in DVD so you don't have that visual. Have the jarring. Visuals, yeah, because which... it, I will fully admit it is a little jarring. However, like I said, I, I think it's an amazing movie. And uh, if you've never seen it, I highly recommend it if you like on-the-road kind of thrillers. Uh, uh, it's Glass House on the Left in the car, but not as disgusting. Okay. That that actually sounds up my alley. So um, that sounds... Actually, I'm going to have to uh, look for that one now. Yeah. Well, it's at Andy's video up there. So. Well, I might be running from Andy's video. I, got a couple, I actually got a list. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Uh, well, I think we can do one more. Let's yeah. See. yeah, we'll do one more. What do you got? So I actually watched this one last night and it is 1971 Blood and Lace. Not to be confused with Blood and Black Lace. You have to tell the Baba. story though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so years ago, I remember when Blood and Black Lace came out and my now husband asked me, hey, can you pick up a list of movies? Tells them to me. I don't write them down. Mm. I pick up Blood and Lace, not Blood and Black Lace, <laughs> along with I don't remember what title I picked up in place of The Incredible Melting Man, but it was something really completely opposite. The Incredible Shrinking Man, maybe. I think that yeah. was it. And he looked like, what did you buy? Just like, what? No, thank you. What? Just like, what? <laughs> what is this? So I, had to I can totally hear Josh right now. <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> I'll never forget because he was working at Ronnie's at the time and I brought them up there and he just looks at the bag like, what? <laughs> oh, wow. And so I always remembered like I and now I know the difference between both movies because yeah. I've seen Blood and Black Lace and I never saw Blood and Lace. And I'm like, well, I want to watch this movie that I mistakenly bought. You know, I don't own it. I did return it, but it's streaming on Amazon Prime. So okay. and it's short, like 88 minutes. And I'm like, you know what? I need to watch this because I want to see how bad how bad this is compared to blood. Because I love blood and black lace; it's right. phenomenal. Right. And I I wanted to see like, well, let's see if blood and lace is really related to it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Not at all. Completely different. So blood and lace is it's pretty much a 70s sleaze film, and it is about this girl. She witnesses her mom and a John being murdered by a hammer. Okay. And so she. Pretty much she's 18, although I guess at that time they still have to go in an orphanage till they're 21, which is I still think is really weird. So she pretty much gets placed in this orphanage and these these people, the orphanage are really weird. This lady, her husband just died. She's a little kooky. There's the handyman who's also very strange. You know, they're up to something because kids 
keep trying to run away, but then they go missing. Mm. So, and you hear her talking about, you know, money. So they get this new girl who's very, you know, does not want to be there. Okay. She, you know, her, she witnessed that murder. She's, you know, not, not thrilled. And she knows the killer saw her face. So he's still after her. Okay. So you got that into play. So I feel like there's two underlying storylines going. The orphanage is doing something shady. Right. And you got this, this murderer who murdered her, her mom and the John, you know, after her. And, and then she's an eyewitness. Exactly. Yeah. She's an eyewitness. So they think the best place is this orphanage or so the detective thinks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, it goes from there and, you know, you see all these weird things happening. So you're, you're in the house, you discover, yes, this orphanage is doing some shady shit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a scene where one of the kids is trying to run away and he pretty they they're pretty much stopping these kids from running. Away. Okay. You get that. You get yeah, that yeah, idea. Yeah. She discovers things in infirmary. You pretty much know what's going on in the orphanage when you're watching you know they're doing shady shit okay and as it you know she starts discovering this and then the whole killer comes into play where you know she has this nightmare she wakes up screaming i saw a guy with a hammer in my room and Hmm. you know you see the so i feel like it all comes into play at the end i love the first half of it because the mystery feel of okay these people, I, you know, me thinking maybe the lady at the orphanage is the one who murdered them. You know, maybe that's why she got put there. And I like that whole mystery. The second half, I, I liked where it led up. I hated the ending. Mm. I actually liked it until the ending because I liked the mystery. That's of, such a bummer. When you, when I you don't watch a movie. Ruin it yeah. Because I like it's not a bad movie. It's okay. not a great, great. I mean, it's like it's not. It's like middle of the road. Yeah. From what I remember, it's like a middle of the road drive-in feature. Yes, it is. Like, I had fun with it. I actually was very interested throughout the whole film. I was mm. very, like, my eyes were on it. I was trying to figure out what's going on. Like, you know, who, I, I did figure it out. I already knew who, because she also, at the same time, she doesn't know who her dad is, so she's trying to figure that out. Okay. I figured that out off yeah. the bat. Let's okay. put it that way. Um, but just mystery, the, not great. <laughs> yeah, that part was not great. And I feel like when it starts getting near the end, yes, you do start figuring things out, mm. especially there's some really creepy incestual underlining tones to it. And Ooh, this boy. is second time we've used the I word. <laughs> yes. And this is where I, I didn't like the ending. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Is, this is where it took me off the like. I I can watch disgusting shit. I can watch a lot of that stuff and not be like, but that ending kind of turned me off. I'm like, you know, if it was cut, yeah. everything else was great. And I do recommend watching it. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, there were some good kills in it. It was interesting. But that ending, just be prepared for this abrupt. <laughs> you were fucking kidding me. Uh, That's okay. what like I was sitting there like, you're motherfucker really <laughs> that was my reaction at the end cool so but i mean i still recommend it it's streaming on prime it's free it's short if you like a good mystery especially if you like sleazy 70s films yeah. i think you'll enjoy it okay all right I'm, i mean i haven't seen it in a long time i remember it being kind of yeah yeah it was <laughs> it kept me interested and then it but i might actually check it out now it just it's if it's short it's you know, it's like one of those things I could throw on while doing something. Um, yep. You know, I I try not to watch movies like that, but I also have seen the movie before. So it's just more like, oh, this is a visual upgrade. Right. Yep. But yeah. cool. All right. Well, the last one I'm going to talk about is um, not 
I was debating if I wanted to talk about it, but I, I did really like this film. Uh, it's from 2014. It's called the midnight swim and why it's, uh, probably being talked about right now is, uh, vinegar syndrome, their partner label. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it is. Hang on. Oh, it's, um, yellow veil pictures. One of the new partner labels, they just put it out on Blu-ray and uh, this is uh, the feature length debut of um, Sarah Dina Smith, who did Buster's Mel Hart uh, with Rami Malik. And um, she did the Mother's Day segment in Holidays, which eh, I was kind of OK with. But I heard a lot about this film. I mean, it's from 2014, so it's relatively older. Well, not that old, but it, it's not a brand new release. Just the Blu-ray is brand new. Um, it's more of a mystery, but it's kind of uh, fused in with found footage. One of It's about these three sisters that go back to their mother's place after she's passed away. Um, and it kind of, you know, at times it almost reminded me of a found version of Night House, but it doesn't have all the twists and turns that that movie has. But the Midnight Swim is just about these sisters. One of the sisters carries around a camera. It seems to be more of a coping mechanism for her. And um, we just kind of get to know all three of these sisters. And um, it, it's located in a small town. The house is near a body of water called Spirit Lake, which the legend goes that it is super deep and nobody's ever found the bottom of it. And so... <sighs> Their mother, I'm trying not to give too much away, but they kind of already say it pretty early on in the movie. Their mother assume you assume that she committed suicide and she killed herself by essentially going into the lake and never coming back up. So there's this kind of ghost story aesthetic throughout the whole film. Um, but for the most part, it's, uh, it's mainly a coming of age drama, but there's a little bit of mystery. You don't know if you're dealing with maybe a witchcraft story because their mother was into new agey kind of stuff. They find this tape where she was, um, she shot a like commercial, she was a doctor. So she shot a commercial for this, this, um, proposition to like help save the lake and all this other stuff. And it's very, it's actually played by, um, I think it her at the actress's name is Beth Hunt, who is the, uh, sparkle motion lady from Donnie Darko <laughs> <laughs> or Beth Grant. Br Beth Grant is, um, is the woman that I'm talking about. That's the actress, but yeah, no, this film is, it's just kind of interesting to watch. Um, like I said, it kind of feels very found footage because it's all shot from the camera of one of the the sisters and she's just kind of documenting it. And the, the other sisters, like when they encounter other characters or interact with other characters, they're like, oh, she just kind of shoots. She's just documenting everything. And essentially, they're just there to get the house in order, get all of her affairs in order and, and split. Um, there's some discussion on whether they're going to sell the house, whether they're going to keep the house and like use it as a vacationing home, or maybe even one of them might live there. But what's interesting about this whole film is like, there are scenes that are cut. Um, what I like about it is you kind of also have an unreliable narrator in a weird way 
it, and that, I don't think I'm taking away the mystery of it. Um, but there are scenes where the girl who's usually behind the camera gets in front of the camera and they're just kind of off. Like she's just staring at the camera and you're like, Oh crap, are we dealing with a ghost story? And throughout the whole film, you're kind of, it's a teeter totter of like, is this a coming of age movie? Is this a mystery? Is this going to get into witchcraft? You kind of don't know, but it's an interesting watch. What I will say, much like Blood and Lace, I was not the hugest fan of the ending. And it's literally the only, it's like the final shot. It's maybe equates to two minutes of the film. But it is a little bit of a letdown based off of all the mythology that's built between the film and like getting to know the characters. You kind of it feels like a cheap playoff, but there's obviously something very personal with the ending and I'm not going to spoil it, but, uh, it, it's one that like, you know, if you're doing blind buys of vinegar syndrome stuff, I, I think it's worth a watch. Uh, it's also available to rent and buy streaming wise on Amazon, Google play. It's pretty readily available. I want to say like, if you mess with Plex, their free side, um, they even have it on there too. So obviously that's with ads, but I think it's, I think it's worth a watch. Um, I want to say shutter might even have it or they're going to have it soon. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I think it's worth a watch for people that are maybe like needing a palate cleanser. Um, it, like I said, it's not completely horror, but it dips its, no pun intended, it dips its toes into like witchcraft and like kind of mythical stuff. So it's kind of interesting in that aspect. Um, it, <laughs> I think there was a joke online, like, is it folk horror found footage style? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it kind of, it goes on, the, it touches those things, but it doesn't really, it's very ambiguous as well. So... Um, I think it's worth a watch, uh, for sure. Um, she hasn't really directed too much more other than like a couple of other short films. And I think a movie called birds of paradise, nothing like genre related. It doesn't seem so. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I think I gave it four stars on letterbox. So I just wanted to mention it, but yeah, that's, uh, that's all the films we watched. And if you want, to know what we all watched, uh, you can look in the show notes or go on the uh, page of this podcast and we have just watch links. So it will tell you exactly where it's streaming. So whether you listen to this February, 2022 or 2026, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of 2022, we're going to talk about the latest theatrical horror release scream, also known as scream five, which I was kind of, I was kind of bummed that they didn't just call it five cream. <laughs> Could have got away with it. I know some people are like, oh, well, the the M, I mean, you could take the five. It's in the M. And you it's like, could. Oh, no. oh, yeah, but I, th- I would have liked the five, like right where the S is because it's just so, I mean, it, it's very suiting. Yeah. And I feel like Final Destination 5 kind of did something like that, too. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, I mean, they should have. I think they should have yeah. put the five. Right I mean, I guess it doesn't matter because people are like, oh, it's a new screen movie. Um, so this one is directed by the guys, um, the two guys, Radio Silence, I think. They used to be three guys, but these guys are, um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce one of them. Uh, Matt, no, I'm going to try Matt 
Bettinelli open question mark or uh and uh Tyler Gillette. Uh these are the same guys who did Ready or Not and that that movie I love. They also did the Halloween segment in the original VHS, which is another one that I really dug. Um, but yeah, this, this one brings in the legacy characters of Gail, um, Dewey and Sydney along with a new cast. And what I really do like about it is, uh, that it's not so reliant on the legacy cast. That's what I was starting to get worried about Yep, is that like, Oh, come on guys, let, let it be its own movie and then maybe introduce them. Which they did do. Yeah. Which I like. They did a very good job of that. I felt like the new characters were more dominant than the legacy, which is what I was hoping I for. I agree. It's just kind of nice. Like, you know, obviously the legacy characters are kind of just in there to. For support. Kind of support. You know, hey, yeah, we're yeah. still here. We're still alive. And it's you also, know. you know, it doesn't feel like a reboot. But what I also love about this film is that it it in line with the meta commentary of the original scream from 1996, it also comments on reboots and like all this yep. other stuff and, it and even into, sequels it deeply. And that's yeah. what I like. Cause they, I mean, they go in a whole segment on reboots. Yeah. Um, before we get into it. So uh, I guess we'll just go through the basic plot, which is uh, the other great thing that I love is that they have this nice little tribute of character names where they're like, Tara Carpenter <laughs> and like Wes Hicks and stuff like that. But anyway, it all takes place in Woodsboro. So we're still in the same town when a uh, high school student answers the phone, uh, much like any other screen movie. Uh, this, the opening scene obviously echoes the 96 film quite a bit. And what I like about it is that they introduce some of the new technology, like the scene where, you know, the doors are locked and then they're unlocked and she's watching it happen on her phone. Um, But it also like it, it's a great update of the screen mythology just because like things have changed since 1996. You know, I love how she's like, Oh, the landline is raining. And it's like, Oh yeah. What, what do you do? Like, how is that set up? Because in the 96 film, it's so reliant on that phone. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, when Ghostface, quote unquote, uh, which I always thought was weird that they they call it Ghostface Killer, even though it's like multiple killers throughout the series. Yep. <laughs> but it was the Ghostface Killer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we'll just say, you know, it. what's great is that uh, Roger Jackson reprises his vocal work of Ghostface, um, which is supposed to be, you know, a voice changer that everybody I remember in 96 when I saw it, people were trying to find a voice changer that did that. I'm like, guys, you know. It's not how it works, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he reprises his role. He sounds scarier. That's the funny thing is like, he calls the landline and she picks up and like, they have the back and forth, but then like, she's also not having it. And she's like, ah, I'm good. Bye. Yep. And like is texting. And then we find out that the person she's texting might be the same person that was on the landline. And I, I I like the playful like cat and mouse game that you have regarding technology Mm -hmm. in that first scene. It's, it's a nice, not only is it a nice update, 
to it, but it's also, again, another meta commentary because that's what Scream was. Scream was a very successful, like 96's Scream was a very successful um, horror film that also commented on horror films, but also adapted to teenage lifestyle and obviously spawned so many teenage horror films. Yes, it did. Which... Look, I know we did an episode on it. I know what we did last summer or, or know what you did last summer. Eh, none of them really work for me. No. And I mean, like, I feel like Scream was the basis for so many of those. If you look at, yeah, I mean, there's other ones besides that. I mean, it's like you said, it's fun. So many But right. Scream is the one that held up on all of them. Although I have a special place in my heart for I know what you did last summer. I know. <laughs> But <laughs> didn't mean to come attack you. <laughs> but I but Scream it has always been the better film, and you can tell how many it spawned, and it still holds up today. And I think the 2022 one did it justice by commentating and not on the not just an original Scream, but like you said, technology changed. Yeah, and they did, and they adapted to how teenage life changed today because back then it was different than now, and I right. feel like. The new one, it was very relatable to how kids are now. Like when she's unlocking that on her phone mm -hmm. and just doing all that with alarm system, I'm just like, yep. And also landlines. I mean, most people don't have them now, but if you're right. in a small town, it makes sense because most parents still kept their landlines. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, a lot has changed in the 26 years since Scream uh, with, you know, Wes Craven Scream. And I also love that this new one pays a lot of tribute to Wes Craven. Um, but it, you know, what's funny is like, I was thinking back and obviously I had the 96 version playing before we started recording, but, um, I always forget that that scene was Sydney where she tries to call 911 and she's typing and like saying, I need help. Like that scene, that always seemed out of context or like not really a thing back in 96. Mm -hmm. And now I don't even still know if it's a thing. <laughs> I mean, I guess so the, the, the logic behind that scene was um, for people that are deaf mute, they would use okay. that program, yeah. the phone 911 and like, they could I, type it in versus they would type it in call. and something would do a text to speech. And, and that was the whole logic, be like the actual logic behind it. And yes, this is a real thing. But um, it's funny because like when you really watch 96, uh, 96's Scream, I hate that I have to keep calling it 96, but that's, that's where we are. Um, there's not a lot of technology behind it. And 2022 has an abundance of technology, but that's the interesting thing that I think nowadays that that's the deal. Like technology is a huge part of our life. We're talking a podcast right now that that was something like hell 15 years ago when I started this podcast, people are like, what the hell's a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I would be like, it's an internet radio show. <laughs> that's how you have to explain it. Like talk radio. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I love about it is that the teenagers in this film uh, are also pretty smart. Um, they're not really dumbed down. 
Um, I, honestly, I think they might even be more adult than the ones in the 1996 film. I do agree with that. They actually seemed a lot more intelligent, especially with the technology and just yeah. in general, because I still remember certain scenes in 96 and screaming at the TV. Yeah. And this one, I didn't have to do that because most of them were smart enough to know not to, you know, not to not to leave the doors unlocked, right. not to you know. I'm trying to think of just some of the not to go places alone, like don't go here alone, you right. know? So. Well, and here's the interesting thing that I, I don't know if a lot of people think of it. Um, and I don't know if this is just makes this new movie a little more successful is back in 1996, like being a film nerd was kind of uh, still an outcasty thing. Right. But now being a film nerd is like, there's still a subculture of it. It's not necessarily in the mainstream, but it, kind of also is like if you talk to teenagers now they know a lot of these like movies from the 90s and most of them know scream that's a not really nice thing that like a lot of kids didn't like forget about that movie like that was still an important movie and it's uh you know when you talk to teenagers and talk about horror films that is a movie that comes up yeah um maybe not so much you know it's riffs like urban legend or valentine or anything like yep. that but scream still stands up i mean I, I think 1996's scream still stands up even today 26 years later um but yeah i think these teenagers are smarter and obviously more self-aware but because they are more self-aware they're they're smarter just in this containment of having a slasher movie too because they know oh well you don't want to go by yourself or sometimes they even play with you and then like, Oh, well, if you go by yourself, you're fucked, you know, you're going to die. Yep. That's stuff that necessarily wasn't said in the, the original. And I mean, it was kind of implied, but it was very jokingly. Mm -hmm. And then this one, it's like, Oh, well no, that there could be some truth in that. And I like that. I, I really like this updating of uh, our teenage characters that we're following. Um, most of them, I, I, so the girl that gets attacked in the beginning is Tara Carpenter and her sister Sam, who has moved away from Woodsboro, uh, is needs to come back um, because of Tara's attack, essentially. Uh, I, I'm trying to like kind of skip around. I don't want to spoil everything, but at some point we will have to get into heavy spoilers, and I think that's going to be very soon. As... As she comes back to Woodsboro, what's interesting is their family dynamic gets exposed and we find out that all of these characters, all of our main characters in 2022's Scream, maybe I should just start saying Scream 5, um, are somehow related to our legacy characters from 1996. And it's fun kind of going down that route we do get Sydney Prescott back we do get Gail Weathers back and we get Dewey um we get Dewey back as well Dewey Riley as this troubled kind of like I guess he is an alcoholic because yeah, alcoholic ex-sheriff um, <laughs> yeah ex-sheriff that is like still nearby town yep but it lives in a trailer and is still infatuated with Gail Weathers and I think what's interesting here is the previous films focused a little bit. I'm just going to say a lot on Sydney. Sydney was always our main character. Mm -hmm. And this is the first one that kind of deviates from that. Mm -hmm. And I'm appreciative of that because I think it is time to 
you know, to, pass the torch. Yeah. And I think they did a good job of refocusing, especially on this newer cast. Mm-hmm. And getting this newer cast like built into the Scream franchise. Which I really like this new cast. I do too. I um, did too. I actually thought they had a very like solid cast in general for choices. Yeah. And I mean, my favorite is probably Jasmine Savoy Brown, who's she's uh she was in the leftovers for a minute, but she's recently in Yellow Jackets, which have you started that yet? I don't have showtime, but okay. I'm tempted to sign up again. I mean, the series Season one is d- done, so you could binge them. I could easily binge that. <laughs> hey, it's a 30-day free trial. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but Jasmine plays Mindy, correct? Yes. Uh, I I absolutely love her. She's just in... Here's... Yeah, we're just going to go ahead and start getting into spoilers. She is related to Randy Meeks. And what's nice about Scream is not only do you get Courtney Cox, Neve Campbell... And David Arquette coming back. But you also get some of these side characters from the previous films, like Heather. Uh, uh, Matazara? Matarazzo? Matarazzo. I, I don't know. I'm sorry, Heather, if you're listening to this. But she comes back as Martha Meeks, uh, who is related to Randy. Um, Randy's sister. Yeah, Randy's sister. And uh, you also get um, Marley Shelton, which for me, I will say... And I think the perfect Scream trilogy, and I know people are going to yell at me for this, is Scream 96, Scream 4, Scream 2022. I, I'm i not the hugest fan of Scream 2. I, me, it's I know a lot of people do. Um, I, need to, I need to give 4 another chance because four first time I watched it, I didn't like it. The second time I watched it, I liked it. Okay. And I... But two, I watched all the time as a kid. I'm I'm not I gonna lie. I went to my friend's house. We watched Scream Two on repeat all the time. Oh really? Okay. It, so for me, it's nostalgia. Scream Three, it's nostalgia. I know it's not good. And I mean, that could be some of like you know our age gap, right? Because like I remember seeing '96 as Scream in the theater, and what was always interesting to me. I even remember doing like a video essay for a school project on it. And I wish I still had it because I would love to digitize that oh, and put that'd that out be there. Awesome. But um yeah, it was one of those movies that like I knew it as a new horror film from Wes Craven. Fuck yeah, I'm down. And everybody else was like, Oh, it's the movie to see. It so like that Friday when it came out in the December of ninety-six, they were like, Oh, we're gonna go see this new horror movie. And it's just going to throw thrills. But people started talking about it and people went to go see it multiple times because of the mystery angle. And people were like, oh, you'll never figure it out. You'll never figure it out. Um, While I will say the mystery for 2022, I didn't find as strong. (laughs) No, I didn't. I figured it out halfway through. It was Um, pretty. My husband didn't because he he was like he he was thinking it should have been more complicated than it was. So he was trying to ignore it. And then he's like. Damn it. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. The one character that ends up being the killer, I'm, I associate her. Well, we're in spoiler territory. So if you've never, if you haven't had a chance to see the new one, stop now. We, I think I recommend it. Yes, I yep. would. I'd recommend it. It's worth seeing in a theater. I would see it again in a theater. If okay. I had the chance, I would see it a second time. And this will be a day one buy. All right. So let's get into the spoilers. So, yeah, the the girl that 
<laughs> that is the killer, like one of the killers, because of course that's that's the fun part about Scream is you've had two killers. The first time, you, well, yeah, <laughs> um, the, the the first Scream in '96 having two killers was just kind of mind blowing. That mm-hmm. was just one of the fun things, and I think that's what caught fire. And people were like, "Oh, you have to see it; you'll never figure it out," because nobody expected two killers. With this one, we also get another two killers, and it's. The girl that is the kill, like one half of the killers, I picked her out just because, oh, that's Sadie from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I was like, she looks insane. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I think she's the killer. I don't buy into her. And then there were a couple of like mannerisms that she did and like things that her character did that I was like, oh, that seems very suspect. Yeah. So I kind of like, I figured that out and I figured out that, you know, Richie was the killer played by Jack Quaid. That was pretty easy. But um, yeah, Marley Shelton being Sheriff Judy Hicks. So she's reprising her role from uh, Scream 4. Mm -hmm. And I love that this new one, because it totally could have done it, where it's like, Much like a lot of reboots, they're maybe paying tribute to the original film Mm -hmm. and negating everything else. This one's still like, no, all those movies happened. That's that that's still in in the legacy format. Um, But, you know, for the most part, this is more of a tribute to 96's Scream. It's not necessarily referencing two, three or four, but there are nice Easter eggs. And like I said, Marley Shelton reprising her character is a nice development to say, oh, we didn't write off those movies. Like this is a character, you know, but even if you hadn't seen Scream 4, because surprisingly, a lot of people still haven't seen Scream 4, I think. And that's also another interesting thing is I don't know why Scream 4, which is now, 11 years old, I think, um, because I think it came out in 2011. Why that didn't really catch as much fire as this new one, because this new one, like people are losing their minds over, like I can't escape social media Mm -hmm. because of that. And what's great about screen four is like some of the, uh, spoiler alert for screen four, uh, some of the directive or motive behind the killers is social media. And like becoming somebody famous, which, you know, in, in some aspects is also a tribute to 96s. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just wanted to be like the survivors of a massacre. But obviously Billy had ulterior motives. And what I like about ha- the 2022 Scream or Scream 5 is that that underlying f- theme of trouble in f- family from the first one that kind of, you know, had shockwave effects throughout the franchise is still here. Mm-hmm. And in in fact, it's kind of m- more pushed forward into the forefront where you have all these characters that are somehow related to characters we knew in the screen franchise. And I like that, you know, in, in the first one, it was uh, Billy's dad got with Sydney's mom yep. and that was the directive. And like, you know, Maureen kind of ruined Ruined the family. Billy's childhood, yep. yeah. And, and this one, it's a little different, but it's similar. And I also, like, even though uh, Courtney Cox, you know, everybody who hasn't died in the series is pretty much back. What I do like is Skeet Ulrich coming back as, like, is he a hallucination? Is he a ghost? ghost? You don't yeah. know. And that's what I really 
dig about this movie, much like Halloween, I think the new Halloween movies try to do is a town haunted by their past. I think that's always an interesting theme. And maybe, maybe that's because I semi wrote an outline for like Halloween called Halloween Requiem, where the town was basically haunted and couldn't escape. Couldn't escape like the, the killer. Yeah. Couldn't escape what Michael Myers did to yeah. the town. And I, I just kind of like that because I think that also grounds it more in reality, mm-hmm. right? Is it, it's not just a fantasy tale. It's something that happened and it's hard to shake. Much like any tragedy that happens in a town, that that just it ruminates throughout the years. Eventually, it will go away, maybe, but until you get out of these generations where it didn't or, affect, yeah, where they all them. carry it down generation to generation, right. which you feel in Scream twenty twenty two, because they all intersect from that first one and that generational happened yeah. and that's how billy's brought into play yeah and i i love i love when we first see him because a you know as a fan it's like oh cool he's in here somehow uh, we'll like find out how it works yeah. but and then and then you don't know if she's hallucinating or if it's a ghost or like something else is going on could we get into supernatural territory who knows and i love that shaky ground that we get in, in the beginning of the 2022 film, obviously we know it's more of a hallucination slash kind of guidance in yeah, a weird way. <laughs> you can tell she's not stable and that's right. why she left originally, right. you know, due to issues. So when you, you see him, you know, a couple times throughout the film, you're like, is she mentally like losing it? Is he there to help her and try to guide her in the right direction so she doesn't make any mistakes? You know, so you're you're trying to figure that out as you go, and or you wonder if it's her subconscious portraying him, you know, and just pushing. That. And I'm pretty sure this is like the first time where our main character of the new group, right, could possibly be the killer. She yeah. could be the one doing it. Yep. We don't know. I mean, obviously, by the end of it, we know and everything's good, but. I, I really thought that the Radio Silence guys did a excellent job at not only making a new screen movie, but also paying tribute to the 96 film and the other films. Because what's also nice is there's a whole bunch of Easter eggs in this movie. Like the scene when um, the, the guys doing all the research on, holy crap, they made eight stab, stab movies. movies. Yeah. <laughs> and like you're watching this silver-faced uh ghost face with a flamethrower you see it in a trailer and unfortunately it's it's a real kind of blink and you miss it in the movie um but it, the voice is actually matthew lillard, lillard which is cool um but also on the sidebar they bring back um hayden pantier's character in uh scream inter- four yep and inter- interview her yeah and i i like that because you know that's that's also the director's playing a little bit of fan service they're like we know this is a character that people cared about mm-hmm. and we would have loved to bring her in but 
the it just wasn't fitting the story, which yeah. cool. Okay, good. But just that little tidbit for people when they get it on home video, they can rewind and be like, oh, that's cool. And I'm sure there's even more Easter eggs that we haven't found. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like that's one you're probably going to have to watch more than once to catch all the little things they threw in. Yeah. And I like that they did that because it gave like it, it made fans happy to know that they were paying such a good tribute. And I honestly felt like it was one of the best tributes just because of all the details they put into Scream 2022 mm -hmm. and just how much they, you know, they took from the original and put their own spin on and added everything in. Yeah. I mean, and I will say, I know this is probably going to be controversial. Um, I think most people know one of my favorite movies is Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. But I think this does fan service a little better than the Halloween, like, Halloween 40, age 40, whatever you want to call it. And Halloween kills. I, I like those movies, but they also have their peaks and valleys where yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, I don't want this. This isn't what I want, especially with Halloween kills. Like the evil dies tonight subplot. I, I absolutely hate. And yeah. I love that people are mocking it. Like evil fries tonight. <laughs> Just a whole bunch of bullshit. But, um, I think what these guys do as far as fan service, it, it's it's self-contained within the film. And it's not just like, oh, hey, we know you like this movie, so we're going to do this callback. It's it it is there, but it's not over the head yeah, it's as much as like the David the Gordon story. Green stuff. It's yeah, it's like all part of the whole plot, which I think is what makes it work so well. Right. Right. I agree. And I, I really, really dug this movie quite a bit. Um, there, there were a couple of things that I, you know, I wish were a little different, but honestly, like in retrospect, I, there's not much I would have changed versus like when you look at something like Halloween kills, which came out, you know, last October, there's so much I would change. Mm -hmm. And I, I think even when I walked out of the theater, I'm like, look, I like that. Michael Myers is like this badass, basically Jason Voorhees, which would upset some people just because, you know, look, I like Michael Myers as a strong silent type that like lurks in the shadows and he just materializes. But I also want him to be as respected as somebody as Jason Voorhees, mm -hmm. which at that point you're just like, okay, he's just got to be a brutal son of a bitch and kill whatever's in his path. I do like that kind of resurrection of Michael Myers, but on the same token, it's also not like the Michael Myers I fell in love with either. So what I like about this is it's all in tone with the 96 film. And it, I think that's the best way to put it is that the fan service isn't as much fan service. It's just like, how do we mimic the tone? Yeah. Because I will say like the second one has a great opener, but outside of that, I could give a shit less to be honest. I, <laughs> I mean, yep. it's like once we got the, the killer reveal on that, I'm like, okay. It wasn't cool. as, it wasn't as, I guess you could say good you know and nothing i mean i will say the killer reveal on this like i did figure it out mm -hmm. and i i know that this is me and josh went back and forth on this and this is one of the things he brought up because we argued on how with the killers yeah is because he felt like one of the killers um it was uh the boyfriend yeah was jack it? quaid's character jack quaid uh, uh richie, richie. And he felt like his character was not built up enough to be a killer. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. mimicking social media. That's what he yeah. wants. He wants to be famous. Yeah. So, yes, that makes sense. So I think that was his kind of like issue with that. 
And he didn't, he felt like, you know, his killer reveal wasn't as good as Scream, which I understand. (laughs) Like, I feel like the killer reveals, like for Mindy's, I felt like it was very good. Like how they were, I mean, you knew it was her. I'm just going to be honest. I figured that out. Yeah. There were too many little things hinting at it. Right, right. But you always know who that first one is. Like in Scream, you knew it was Billy. Yeah. So I felt like. Or you figured it was Billy until that one scene when he gets stabbed and you're like. Oh, oh shit, shit, I'm wrong. Yes. I have to be wrong. And then it turns out you were right. Yeah. And like with Mindy, you kind of question it in some some points. Or not yeah, it was no, it was Amber. Amber. Amber, yeah. not Mindy. Amber, so sorry. Um a- Amber, you kind of question it in some points when her and Mindy are in the basement and mm-hmm. with the refrigerator. That gave me a good throwback to scream i was actually expecting one of them to just pull out a knife and start stabbing the other or ghosts to show up i love that scene and i will say like the reveal of who the killer the first killer is i really like the second one you know richie it just wasn't as good or climatic but i still it almost felt like like a mandatory answer yes like oh well scream's known for two killers here's your second yeah that was kind of like my thing with it but i i i mean it it, i like that like you said with four how they wanted to be famous it actually was a good cohen Mm -hmm. it coincided very well with four so i do like that uh, the point to that part of it and i like how amber's more coordinated to the original i mean she did want to be famous too however her reveal was more in light with that yeah um, I know one of the other things Josh brought up that we went back and forth on is how Sam was related to Billy because he felt like that it was just a long stretch while I'm sitting there explaining it's possible. So yeah. I kind of want to know your thoughts on that. Is that something you feel is more of a long stretch? It, I kind of feel in between because I, I feel like it's not that big of a stretch. Um but yeah, it does kind of also feel like not phoned in. I don't know what the word would be, but it feels too easy. Yeah. I think, I think that's part of it. You just kind of feel like, I don't know. It, it just, it doesn't line up in a weird way, but it, it's like, it it's works, one of those things but... because he's the second killer that's revealed. It's like, Oh, it just falls in line. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's hard because I think the the big thing is like if the relationship with Billy, like it's also contradictory to the legend of like why Billy Loomis did what he did. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like Billy and Stu from 96's Scream, they did it because they were psychopaths, right? And and then they just formulated reason. And Billy's like, oh, it's the horror movies that did it. And Stu, I think, was just always just alone for the ride. I, I That's the way his character always mm-hmm. read out to me. Whereas this one, I don't, you don't feel that you just have two t- truly disturbed people. And then like his reasoning behind it just doesn't feel as sound as something like what Billy says mm-hmm. in the 96 one. Like, Oh, well your mother fucked my you know, yeah. dad and ruined my whole life. That's a motive versus this one. I, it didn't feel like a strong enough motive. But whatever. I mean, I think that's probably the weakest part of this new movie is just that. But surrounding that, I mean, I love that the anticlimactic scene. Yeah. Uh, 
takes place in Stu's house. Yep. That was the best part when they real, especially when they realized that's the original house. Yeah. When you see the legacy characters going over there and they're like, you know, they look at where they're at. They're like, oh, shit, you know, mm-hmm. just dawns on them. And I like that they brought that back to life, like those places where it happened in the original. It went it, everything went back to it. Right. Right. So I, I love that aspect. I also really liked uh, Mindy and Chad's. Was it? Or, uh, yeah, it was Mindy and Chad. It was the brother and sister. Yeah. It was Randy Meeks. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's Mindy nephew. and Chad. And I loved them. I like Chad's the jock, right? And uh, he's not a jock. He's, he's like kind a of this film nerd, too. Yeah, he's a film nerd and he's kind of like the softy. Yeah. Uh, I kind of dig that. I'm like, okay. So that, that kind of also like plays into, you know, um, I think new generations, like you can be the film nerd and be a, a jock or mm-hmm. playing on a football team or whatever. I think that's more acceptable and susceptible to it versus back in 96. It was like, oh, you're a jock, you're a jock. Mm-hmm. You don't care about anything else. Um, but I do, I do like that Richie and Amber, um, <laughs> their inspiration is not necessarily the events of Woodsboro. It's the stab movies. Stab movies. movies. <laughs> yep. They were obsessed with the stab movies. Which is, it's, you know, it's, it's art becomes life becomes, it's that whole commentary. And I, I do like how um, the directors and even the writers, I mean, obviously the writers, right. But, but uh, I like how they did that. It's like, yeah, it's all the same shit. You know, it's, uh, it's life imitates art, mm-hmm. imitate, imitates life. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I, I like it. Uh, I, I thought it was a really good entry in the film, and I think it's a really good final entry in the film, and I love that the film ends very much like the 96 film with, um, sadly, if this was released in 2021, like I think it was supposed to be, it would have been the 25th anniversary, and the new film does end with like, what what it happens on the 25th anniversary of the original events? Yeah, like oh man, that would have been perfect. But you know, I mean, it's not that far off. It's really technically only a month off. Yeah, because Scream from '96 came out in December of 1996. Um, I really I and I love that it's a crane shot. It's it mimics a lot of the visual elements of uh the original scream. And I I I mean I was a fan of it. I, I can't wait to add it on my shelf. I mean, I have all the other four scream movies and I can't wait to have this one on there. And like I said, I think I definitely want to sit down and like make a trilogy of 96 Scream. Scream 4 and then this new one and see how that all plays out. I will say I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll go back and rewatch Scream 3, <laughs> which I remember not liking. That was my least favorite. And then I looked back on my letterbox. I saw it back in 2019. Oh, I did wow. a rewatch then because I was like, well, the last time I saw it was in the theater when it came out. And then I was looking on my letterbox. I'm like, oh, I watched it in 2019 and gave it one star. And even there, I'm like, it's so forgettable. And I'm like, yeah, I forgot about it. It's not a great movie. I don't like Scream 3. I think that's probably the weakest of the the series. I agree. And that's one, I saw that in theaters. I was probably like, I had been 13, 14 when it came out. I remember asking my dad, can we see this, please, please, please? He's like, yeah, sure. Can, can we take two of my friends? Yeah, sure. Sure. 
And so he took us to see it. He's like, you know, didn't care. I do remember the opening. That was the most memorable part of the movie. Yeah. Was, you know, Liv Schreiber's character getting stabbed, you know, with the white shirt, the blood, mm-hmm. the chase, kind of the chase scene at the beginning where he's on the phone. Um, yep. And then the ending, you know, with the reveal of the killer, it's her like brother, stepbrother, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Scott Foley. I, yeah. I always remember his name because Felicity. And those are the two biggest things I remember. Maybe a car blowing up and Gail. Oh, Gail Weathers, horrible haircut. That was the scariest thing of that movie. (laughs) Uh, But you're right. It's a very forgettable movie. You only have certain scenes you remember. I don't remember any of the kills except Liv Schreiber. And I I don't even know if I remember that, to be honest. That's the only one I remember because it happened at the beginning. And it just made an impression on me as, I mean, a kid, a teenager Mm -hmm. seeing it. And I was, I loved the first one. I watched the second one, you know, seeing the third one in a theater. But I mean, I've gone back to it and I know it's not good. And I've watched it a couple times. I still don't remember half the movie. Yeah. And what I will say about Scream as a franchise is uh, it's one of the very few, if not the only franchise in horror history where it's, um, you know, negating this new one, right? Is that all the films were directed by Wes Craven. Yep. One, three, four. And even though, you know, I'm dogging on three, it's not good. Not all Wes Craven movies are good. I'm sorry. I, I think everybody can admit to that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, you know, I did like that, though, but I liked it because it's so batshit insane. I need to revisit that one. I saw that in too. I, I don't know if I need to revisit. When I say I liked it, I liked it, but it was just mainly like in awe of how crazy, crazy the movie was. was. Um, But yeah, I mean, like Scream 1 and 2 were written by Kevin Williamson. Scream 4 was written by Kevin Williamson. And I think you notice in Scream 3 the dip in quality. um, Because even though Wes Craven was a great director, um, and look, there's no doubt about it. He directed Last House on the Left. That's that's his first wave. And then he did a Nightmare on Elm Street in Scream. So just Nightmare on Elm Street in Scream as far as like the contributions into slasher genre, Mm -hmm. that's very important. And that's nothing to ever bat an eye at. But um, I love that. Like there are four films directed by Wes Craven. That's rare. Like I said, I think it's the only time in horror franchise history where you have a franchise mainly directed by one guy. But what I will say is um, Kevin Williamson came back and wrote the fourth one. And even though this new one obviously isn't directed by Wes Craven and it isn't written by Kevin Williamson, I don't think he really had anything to do with it other than executive produce it. It still feels in line with the franchise. And that's what I like about it is that it's still got, you know, I talked about tone before. I think it's still got the same tone and that's just nice to see um, that they didn't just totally revamp it and make it completely different. It's obvious that the directors and the writers were fans of the original film and wanted to pay tribute to that. So, um, I think it's a great sequel to Scream four. Um, I think it's a great entry in the franchise. And like I said, I mean, my trilogy is definitely the, the best of the film franchise. Um, and I think that's honestly the way it should be seen. I I know a lot of people are going to give me crap about, not liking Scream 2, but seriously, like outside of that opening scene, which is something different, you know, you had two African-American characters that were following, which was something that wasn't necessarily popular at that time. And it was refreshing to see 
but also like they end up getting killed and in a weird way, it's also kind of like shitty too, <laughs> because, you know, that's the whole commentary that we were having around that time is that these minority characters are getting off first, first yeah. and here we are seeing this happen. And yes, I guess in itself, it's part of a commentary on that, but it's also kind of like, okay. And then once you get past that first scene, it's just like, ah, eh, this is the same old shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the only reason like, you know, with Scream 2, I just, it was the nostalgia of me going to my friend's house. I, I'm surprised his parents actually bought him Scream 2. Mm. I know they let us rent it and we just watched it all the time. I will say the most memorable scene was when uh, the killer, I always forget his name in this because it's been, I haven't rewatched Scream 2 in ages. Oh, and 2? Um so one of them, I know one is Billy's mom. Well, I know it's, it's uh, Timothy Oliphant, but I always forget his I do fucking too. name. <laughs> I can't remember his name and I, I'll never forget the scene. He's getting shot and you see him getting shot with all the bullets. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I always remember that because my friend decided to slow-mo it. Mickey? Is it Mickey? Mickey. It's okay. Mickey. My cool. friend slow-moed Mickey getting shot and you see the bullets getting driven into him and the yeah. blood spurting out. So for me, that was like the most memorable thing in the opening. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, thinking back on it now is how I am and seeing that I don't remember as much from two and three when you think about it I have more memory like the first scream I've seen so many times I revisit it almost every year yeah and even the new one this is one I'll continue to revisit because I I really loved it I mean four I will admit I haven't watched as much as I should but I I do remember it it because I love I love Hayden Pantier Mm -hmm. and I also really like uh well, I can't. Why can't I think of her name? She's an American Horror Story. Oh, um, she was in a coven. Um, she's not, from, not Emma Roberts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, because Emma Roberts wasn't that Jill, Jill. Yeah, and I like I like Emma Roberts. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I remember liking that aspect of four, and that's one I feel like I do need to give a second chance. Mm-hmm. I think I was just more thought it should have ended after a trilogy, you know, a trilogy instead of a fourth at the time, but. It's one revisiting. I end up liking more and more each time I revisit. Yeah, and I mean, if it, all the sequels, it's the better. I mean, minus the new one, right? Minus twenty twenty two. It is the better of all the sequels. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you had Scream one, two, and three, Scream obviously is just going to be tops. I would have been fine with the trilogy, but I thought Scream four did a really good job at kind of updating it, much like this new one. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I, I highly recommend this one. Uh, the only bad thing that, you know, I would say, and this is why I'm curious to watch those movies in the sequence that I'm saying with 96 Scream 4 and then this new one, is how repetitive Scream 4 and this new one might be. Because it does comment on some of the same things. Mm-hmm. So I am kind of curious how that plays back to back. But outside of that, and I, again, you know, Scream 4, when it came out, it did okay, but I don't remember it like really catching on and getting as, as much, much as attention. this new one. Yeah, yeah, this one I know a lot of people who who don't aren't really into horror asking me if I've seen it. Mm. And I have a coworker who loved the first one. She didn't care for the rest, but mm. she was very intrigued by Scream Twenty Twenty Two. She forgot she didn't even know four existed. Yeah, I'm actually looking at four, and I was looking at the budget because I was curious. I mean, this was also like 2011, wasn't that long ago? But this was also a time when movies got a bigger budget, mm-hmm. and especially with this, it's like, oh, it's a franchise. This will do gamebusters. It was budgeted at forty million. 
and then it made $97.2 million. So it made its money back, yeah. maybe, <laughs> because once you add but in advertising. As... But yes, this new one made for $24 million and then made $95.7 million. So it's, it's almost made as much as Scream 4. Yeah. Which is insane. It's crazy. And and even during a, with everything going on right now, amazing to see how many people have flocked to see it in theaters, which is, I mean, makes me happy to see people so excited about a January horror movie because no offense, most January horror movies are are horrible. And this has probably been the highlight of my year. Nothing else has piqued my interest. Well, yeah. And I mean, I I also, (laughs) I know people were like treating this new scream as like their Spider-Man no way home. <laughs> I heard that a couple of times and you know, like I, I think that's, I look, I will always love when a horror movie is more an event and a celebration of whether it be a franchise or actor or maybe even a director or writer. I, anytime there's an event horror movie, even like Halloween kills, right? that's always something to be celebrated as horror fans, just because it's nice to see, uh, this same level, maybe not as, maybe not as big as something like a Marvel movie, but at least it's got like, Oh, it's October. And you know, Mm -hmm. it's Halloween kills is out, you know, or hell, even with the saw movies, even though we all know how those all turned out. Yep. I mean, I still went, (laughs) Well, I actually got into Saw in the the last one, the 3D one, I'll never forget. (laughs) But I mean, like this felt like an event because I was very excited for Scream 2022. Mm -hmm. And it's it's rare that I'll see it day one. Usually I wait a little while to the crowds dissipate. But we saw this opening night. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't done that in maybe since probably Halloween Kills, maybe or... I'm trying to think of what's the last movie, even Spider-Man, I didn't see opening night. Yeah. I mean, so, I haven't seen the new Spider-Man mainly because I'm not a huge fan. I'm, it's not that I'm not a huge fan. I'm not caught up. And I feel like, especially with this new Spider-Man movie, need I need to watch yeah. the previous movies. Yeah, at least with like the new Scream 2022, I feel like even if you haven't seen any of the Scream movies, I still think you'll enjoy it and get something yeah. out of it. So I like... With it bring it can brings in a new generation of fans, especially yeah. I feel like like you said, a lot of kids ha- or teenagers kids have seen the original mm-hmm. and know it, which may, I mean, my nephew who's eight knows what Scream is. Right. You know, so that makes me happy that he at least knows the first one. But I mean, just seeing that you can go into it, not seeing the others. I didn't rewatch any of the screams before I saw it, but mm. it's st- I mean, it's still it yeah, holds it on its either. own. Yeah. And but it still is such a great great for all the fans who love the original and all the sequels. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I recommend checking it out. Um, yeah. And you recommend oh, it Oh, I definitely recommend it. I, I would see it again in a theater and I also will be buying it day one. Yeah. This will be an immediate, like, uh, I will be at Best Buy at whatever time. <laughs> Getting that steel book. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but then it won't be, like, uh, set up on my, I, I'm really picky about how they all have to be. Oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Kind of like that order, like, if one doesn't have a slip, I go crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're also, yeah, you're talking to the guy that, like, imported the Scream series from Canada because that was the only way to get Scream 1 through 4. 
because the U.S. release only has one, one through three. three. Yeah, I, that still irks me. I, we have them all individual. Yeah, okay. But if we didn't, and that's why I'm kind of wondering with the new one, it's probably going to have a slip and I'll probably want to take it off to make them all match. Right. Or if they release a complete box set. That would be cool, but I know, I think the rights are a little goofy between between some of them. Like something four. with four, I think the rights are weird with. I want to say one through three is owned by Spyglass, which is now like under Paramount, but four is still a Miramax film. So I don't think they'll be able to do a, a do box a set unless, it, I mean, unless Canada does it. That's the only thing I can think of because that's how I got one through yeah. four in that box set. But yeah, screen 2022 recommend. Cool. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, letterboxed as Luna Maria 87 or Instagram as Nerdy Collector Luna. Cool. And you can find me as Treefy, T-R-I-E-F-Y, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, anywhere else. If you can spare a couple minutes before we let you go, I'd love to talk about some of our Destroy the Brain events and uh, our other podcast that you may have noticed last week uh, called Battle of the Boutiques. Let's go over our events real quick. Horror Trivia Night has been re-rescheduled, postponed to March 3rd. So that is next Thursday if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out. Um, If you have registered, cool. You're set up. Uh, for whatever reason, if you cannot make it on March 3rd, please email me back. I sent out an email to everybody who's registered. So email me back and I'll get you a refund. But if you can make it great, if you haven't registered, you can go to horrortrivianite.com and register today. This is at the Heavy Anchor at 8 p.m. Team entry is $10. You can have up to five players per team so that's two bucks a player you can do it um look even if you don't perform very well uh you'll have a list of movies <laughs> that you can watch um we have tons of prizes from four hands brewing uh record space and uh some stuff from andy's video so make sure you come out again horrortrivianight.com for all the details and to register late night Grindhouse. We have a lot of stuff coming up for Late Night Grindhouse. Our uh, March show is The House on Sorority Row. That's March 11th and 12th at Marcus DePere 14 Cinema, where we usually do Late Night Grindhouse. Have been doing it since 19 or 1988. Wow. <laughs> since 2019. Um, this is our third theater we've been in, and uh, it's our home right now. And, uh, Man, I am so excited for these upcoming events. Uh, March, House on Sorority Row, if you've never seen it, you need to see it. It's a great little slasher from 1982. Sadly, it was remade a little later, but it was pretty loose. Um, The 1982 film is amazing. I I really highly recommend you check it out. Tickets are $10. Show starts at 10 p.m. LateNightGrindhouse.com. That's L-A-T-E-N-I-T-E, Grindhouse.com. In April, we are doing a double feature. I'm not going to announce the titles yet, but here's what I'll tell you. The clues I'll give you are they are repeats. And if you haven't seen the survey I've asked some people to fill out, it's in the show notes of this episode. But essentially, I'm asking what titles you want us to repeat. And I can tell you that there's a decent amount of you that will be very pleased with this double feature when we show it on April 15th and 16th. It's a double feature that starts at 8 p.m., so you'll get out around midnight. Um, 
tickets are probably going to be about $15, $16. Uh, we'll have that information solidified by Horde Trivia Night if you're a dedicated DTB fan. But uh, And we'll also have that information once House on Sorority Row uh, plays. The website will be updated latenightgrandhouse.com and destroythebrain.com for all that information. All right, let's talk about May real quick. May is going to be our first ever 12-hour marathon, okay? This is amazing. Uh, We're turning 12 in May, so uh, we thought, hey, 12, we're turning 12? Let's do a 12-hour marathon. So we're going to show about five to six movies, probably six. Um, There will be some intermissions, and it will start from noon to midnight or maybe 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. No price yet has been solidified because we're still working on the budget and securing films, but we're going to have a hell of a good time. Um, I am super stoked to check this out, and hopefully that double feature will kind of be an appetizer uh, to get your body ready for a 12-hour marathon. Uh, It will only happen one day only on Saturday. Uh, It's looking like it's going to be Saturday... Uh, May 21st, I believe. Let me just double check. Yeah, Saturday, May 21st is more than likely the date of the 12-hour marathon. We will have more information uh, sometime in mid-March, probably, including ticket prices and maybe some of the titles, all the titles, who knows. But that's going to be a super fun time. But we want to show at least one repeatable film. So that's what that survey was that I was talking about. Check the show notes, fill out the survey, see what titles you want to re-see there or re-watch or be represented at Late Night Grindhouse. I don't know really how to say it. Um, what I will say is some titles that we've shown in the past that have already been repeated are Suspiria, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Phantasm, uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. Those will never probably be repeated, uh, at least for a while. So yeah, sorry, sorry, but not sorry. Um, there are definitely a lot of new people to the late night grindhouse program, but there are definitely some people that have ridden it out since uh, the high point days. So uh, we definitely want to make sure we're not just repeating a whole bunch of uh, movies. So the whole point of Late Night Grindhouse is discovery and discovery in a movie theater of some of these films that you might not have the opportunity to see. So again, um, oh, the other title that we probably won't repeat is Dawn of the Dead, mainly due to expenses. So um, yeah. Again, look through our list. We have a dropdown of all the eligible titles that we can maybe repeat. Some of them we still have to figure out rights as of now, but we're going to worry about that once we get the survey results in, which the survey will close on February 28th at noon. So make sure you make your voice heard. Fill out the survey. Again, that link is in the show notes. So check it out. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all of our DTB stuff. Again, our other podcast, Battle of the Boutiques. You can hear me nerd out with a couple of friends of mine. Um, this previous episode was kind of a getting to know you episode where we talk about the best releases from boutique labels in 2021. Our next episode, which will be out next Friday, episode two of Battle of the Boutiques, will be 1957's Night of the Demon, released by Indicator. Uh, over in the UK versus 
Blue Underground's Dead and Buried. So make sure you tune into our other podcast. Let us know how we're doing as a collective on Twitter at DTB Horror, on Instagram at Destroy the Brain, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Destroy the Brain. Be sure to sign up on our Discord, discord.destroythebrain.com, and join in on the conversation. Anyway, thank you guys very much, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Adios. Bye-bye.